everybody, and welcome to another episode of Comic Club. We are your friendly neighborhood comic book podcast. Each month, we read a new graphic novel, break it down in the show. This is not that show. This is Beyond the Panels, where we take a look at the film, television, that was inspired by the comics, inspired by these graphic novels we're reading. Today, we are looking at The Falcon and Winter Soldier. Adam, how you doing today? As always, I am joined by Mr. Adman Cook. Hey, Blaine. Great to be here. I'm doing great, man. I got to say, I just finished this. Like, like just finished it. I opened up 10,000 tabs of Easter eggs, uh, questions about the show. How are you feeling? I believe you just finished it as well. Give us your snap takes. What did you think of Falcon and the Winter Soldier? Overall, I would say that I liked Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I had a good time watching it. Honestly, I was excited to watch each episode. Um, by the end of every episode, I was excited to see where they were going to go next. I thought they did a pretty good job setting things up and then delivering on a lot of what they had set up at the beginning um, for the most part. Now, there's definitely some gray areas in there where it kind of gets a little murky, um, which we'll get into in a little bit. But overall, I liked it. I'll say that like when it's good, it's really good. And it really works. The action really hums. It feels just like a movie. Um, some of the you know social commentary stuff is really good, really well done. But when it's a little middling, a little boring, it's very watered down and very kind of Disney, like the bad side of the MCU. Yeah, I'd say the same thing. This comes on the heels of WandaVision. And it was a different watching experience because I believe WandaVision had more episodes, but they were shorter. So, you know, you have 30 minutes and these were a good solid 40 to 50 minute episodes. So, you know, you kind of had to sit down. There was more action. It felt a little bit more cinematic than WandaVision, which was really leaning into the television show hardcore. Um, but I got to say, like, I think my biggest worry about this was, are they going to be able to really lean into these themes? And the themes were heavy as shit. I mean, the themes were, can a black man take up the shields? And the themes were uh, Winter Soldier dealing with PTSD, being an assassin. Yeah, when um, this series was first getting going, I think after the first episode, we kind of had just like a brief mini chat about it. And you said something that I loved that I've thought about the whole time um, when they were sort of just introducing these themes about, you know, like the social commentary, being a black, being a black Captain America, getting over PTSD. You said Marvel has the appetite for these stories, but do they have the stomach for it? You know, meaning are they really going to wade into the murky waters and, you know, get messy and, I was impressed. I thought that they actually did. I thought that they went there more than I was expecting them to, especially with the whole Isaiah Bradley story, which is kind of, if anyone, you know, super spoiler, you should have watched the show by now. But if you don't know, Isaiah Bradley was like Steve Rogers experimented on with, um, but against his will, because he's a black man who's experimented on at the same time as Steve Rogers. And then he was imprisoned for years as they kept on uh, experimenting on him and basically erased from history and it's just like this incredibly powerful story that i wasn't really expecting to come out of this i mean it's really intense and doing a little bit of research that's based on a comic called red white and black which explores exactly like you said the history of that it kind of um hints on the what do they call it? the tuskegee experiments that uh 
that the U.S. did, like real experiments that America did on African-American citizens, um, which is pretty horrific. And, you know, obviously Isaiah Bradley is traumatized, as are a lot of black Americans in our real world about the way they've been treated over time. And I think Disney does this thing where, I mean, they really went head on into that. You know, it's surprising. I could not believe it. I think it's a little sometimes heavy handed. It's a little overt. It's not by like the sidelines or it's not read between the lines. It's very just like they're have sitting around having conversations about it or it's Sam lecturing like governors, yeah. you know, senators like you need to do better. And, you right. know, f- fair enough. You know, we can all understand it. And it's again, a little heavy handed, a little over the top, but they, they addressed it. And for that, I give them credit. Yeah. And I think it ultimately is satisfying, which is kind of what you want from those stories. I think at the end is it feels like there's a little, like they had something to say. We we brought up this point last time, or or I brought up this point when we talked about WandaVision, which was, is this more about, does it make you care about the characters or does it make you care more about the MCU, the plot, the machinations, where it's all going? Um, talk a little bit about the characters themselves and how they were portrayed in the show. Well, I think this one is, you know, basically all character. This yes. is... We just left these two guys at the end of Avengers Endgame, right? And basically at that point, Steve Rogers is an old man. He did some crazy time traveling life experience. And he's passing down the shield to Sam. He gives the shield to Sam and basically leaves. We don't really know what happens to him. They actually mention, um, isn't Captain America on the moon at one point? I don't know if you caught that. But um, these guys are kind of lost at the beginning of this. They're, They're without a leader. Bucky you know captain america is his only connection to this modern world really um not being the winter soldier and being bucky and so he's trying to overcome you know his ptsd and all these he's having flashbacks of all the people he was forced to kill as the winter soldier and you see him go through the ringer and learn you know how to make peace and make amends and sam says you have to make amends and not just avenge and um he gets some some progress and some peace of mind. We see him grow a little bit. And then Sam, the same thing, is he's trying to figure out, can a black man be Captain America? Should a black man be Captain America? Does he want to be Captain America? And it's really, you know, a, a huge kind of identity crisis, I think. And, um, and And then at the end, the last episode is basically all him as Captain America. He's accepted the mantle and he wants to take it up and has a new purpose for it because he's now driven by the fact that African-Americans have struggled and fought so much already that he doesn't want to give up that fight now. He feels like they've made progress and it's worth fighting for. Uh, to What they've built is worth fighting for. And it, there was a nice moment when they finally ended the show and it went to the final credits Instead of saying Falcon and the Winter Soldier, it now said Captain America and the Winter Soldier. I didn't even catch that. I love it. Good call out. Yeah. So this one was definitely, you know, very little affecting the MCU overall. I think we'll get into maybe some predictions later on, but I was kind of waiting for something, you know, waiting for that post credit scene that is a little teaser that's going to get me into the MCU, but there wasn't really one, and it makes me wonder if these... TV shows are going to be kind of less essential to the over M- overall MCU arc. Because originally I kind of thought, okay, they're going to get deep into the TV game and they're going to make it so connected that you have to see everything if you want to really understand what's going on. Right. 
maybe we'll get there, but it doesn't really feel like there's they're going that route immediately. Yeah, it it doesn't seem like this is critical, essential viewing. I think when the next film comes and you do see Captain America is, you know, the Falcon version where he's got the white and I love his costume. His costume's super dope. Great. Um, you know, I, I think somebody might ask, like, wait. He's Captain America. And and it's not like you have to go watch a show. It's just like, oh, yeah, um, he's Captain America now. It's like, okay. <laughs> and you're like, there's yeah. not like, it, you know, this was a long journey to get there. But to your point, it was just deep into characters. They waded into the waters. They went into some kind of some weird backstory of like, you know, Sam and his sister are trying to get this loan, but then the, the government won't even get them lo- uh, loans. There's all this stuff about the blip. All these people disappeared. And then um, that opened up the borders with the refugees. And then now we're trying to kick out the refugees. And so there's this old kind of subplot about uh, the flag smashers, which we can kind of talk about in a bit. But again, all of these kind of themes are dealing with our real world themes politically political themes that we're talking about, Black Lives Matter movement last year, um, all this about the borders, putting up the wall. And I thought, you know, they they took it head on, but then they gave us some really uh, human moments as well. The character I wanted to call out um, is Zemo, because I am just like massive team Zemo. He is so badass. I love the actor. And um, seeing him back in this, you know, he dons the, the purple mask for like, I think one action scene. But um He's great, and he was like, it was like he's kind of like this anti-hero villain. They got to go work with the villain, you know, who's got the connections and stuff like this. But he kind of becomes this empathetic kind of hero where you root for him because he feels the same way that kind of we do, which is that like we don't want a bunch of super soldiers out of the streets. We don't want a bunch of terrorists like getting their hands on this stuff. So um, I don't know him. And then um, why don't you talk into the John Walker of it all? I love John Walker. I mean, I want to buy as much early stock on Wyatt Russell as I can get because I just think that he's like a star. I've been watching him for a few years now. Um, He was in a Richard Linklater movie. He's in an incredible episode of Black Mirror. And he's just got it. He's got the on-screen presence. He's got the charisma. He really reminds me of Kurt Russell a lot of times in a very pleasant way. And man... They really gave his character an arc. He starts out as kind of, you know, a little unsure of becoming Captain America. He really wants to, but he's still a little nervous. And then he's immediately, you know, outgunned. He's not a super soldier. He's being compared and having to fight alongside Bucky and Falcon and just getting his ass kicked over and over again. And he makes huge mistake. He kills someone in the heat of battle after his, you know, his partner dies and um it's hardcore when he killed that guy and he stands up puts the shield back on and it's just covered in blood i was a little impressed that uh they went there on a disney plus show couldn't agree more the imagery of a man in the the red white and blue in the european city i think they're in prague or wherever they are yeah um committing murder in the streets like in like a european square is just kind of like this imperialist um overextension it's a comment on america's you know kind of place in the world do we are are we allowed to do we how far do we go when it comes to getting out there and taking down these terrorists and stuff like that it was really intense imagery and really counter is counteracted by the heroes the heroism of the real good guys who were out to save people, not kill. And I, I got to say, like, 
It was one of the second to last episodes and he gets another vial of super serum and we never really see where that, that I think that's one of those questions of he's got the last super serum. Maybe that was explained, maybe not, but he has a, he comes around and he, and he has a redemption story. And I was surprised because I thought he was going to be the big bad. I thought he was going to take that second serum and like Hulk out, like become Bane or something crazy. And all of a sudden he's, he's, um, has that again, where he's either has to take down the flag smashers or there's people in a van that's about to crash to the ground and he chooses to save, not fight. And I thought that was a good redemption. And it looks like he's taken up the mantle of US agent. He's working with Vanessa Del Valentina, this Fontaine, this really like long name, um, obviously Elaine Bennis or the girl from Veep coming in. God, you gotta love her. She's, uh, what do you think about her? Julia Louis-Dreyfus, uh, she's great. She's incredible, and she lights up the screen every time she's on it. I will take every single scene with her. Give me more. She was great. I think her character's name is like the Countess or the Contessa or something. And um, she kind of reminds me of a sort of Amanda Walker type character where yes. she seems like she's going to be putting together a band of misfits and yes. anti-heroes. Obviously, she's recruited John Walker. I think the implication is that he took the serum. She says, oh, taking that serum was the best decision you ever made. And um, kind of after he's pocketed it, the next fight scene, he's like so roided out. I assumed that he had taken it. Got it. But okay. he did. So I, that's what I figured. It was off screen. So maybe not. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe that vial's still around, which would be interesting, but kind of weird to leave that um, unresolved. But yeah, his moment of redemption where he chooses to save the people instead of going after the flag smashers for his own personal vendetta was great. I was, I nodded my head and said, yep, well done. He even throws down this, he's made his own captain America shield and he throws down the captain America shield and he, like it lands. And that's how, you know, he's decided to save the people. And I was like, okay, yep. Good job guys. Good job. Yeah. It, it was, it really was very you know, rewarding seeing that happen and seeing his full arc. And again, it comments on, you know, American military. He's a guy that served his whole country whenever he was being kind of court-martialed in front of people. And he's like, I've given my life. And he says, you made me, you turned me into this. And he's obviously seen shit in Afghanistan or Iraq. He's been on multiple tours and it's kind of touching on this, you know, real world scenario of, of people U.S. military comes back from the war. How do we treat them? How do we? How do they continue on whenever they're dealing with these PTSD things? And you know, these are heavy, heavy themes, and they they did not shy away. I thought it was fascinating. And that's honestly that's why I found this a more satisfying experience, I think, than Wandavision because I think mm -hmm. that Wandavision tiptoed into it. They really wanted to get into this grief storyline, but right. they just didn't really ever get to where I think they needed to for how grief-stricken Wanda would have been in that moment, you know, losing these kids, losing her entire family. Everything that she's gone through is horrendous and, you know, hard to imagine. And that's, I think, what ultimately made me lean a little bit more towards Falcon and Winter Soldier at the end of the day. Yeah. And you know, whenever you watch the MCU movies, I think Falcon's always, yeah, he's side character. He's he's cool. Um, I think Winter Winter Soldier's pretty dope. Like he's because he's a villain, you know, he's a terrorist for a big part of an assassin. And he's super cool. But again, okay, he's a side character. He's a less than Captain America. Whenever I talk to people who aren't as into comics, they could kind of care less about Falcon and Winter Soldier. And I think this really gave them their, you know, kind of some meat on the bone. This made them more than just, you know, 
B-tier Captain America, B-tier Falcon. It really gave them their own personal story. It, ga- it gave them a reason to really become, you know, elevated from B to A hero. And I just, I, I commend the show for that big time because I, I really love those guys. The actors do a killer job. I mean, I think they just, they command the screen in a big way. And I'm, I, I thought it was really well done. Yeah. Ultimately, I mean, I would recommend it to people and I enjoyed watching it. I'd, I'd take another season of uh, now the Captain America and Winter Soldier show. Yeah. And, and something about where these are going, you know, people are asking is like, is there going to be a WandaVision season two? Is there going to be a Fa- Captain America and, Fal- and Winter Soldier series two? I think these are so kind of like nebulous where they don't have to just be season two. Now you can just make a Captain America show over here, or you can make a, you know, a Wakanda series with right. with Winter Soldier over here. And it's not like everything's so linear anymore where it's just like one, two, three. It's like you can just, just go in a different direction and start a new show. And all these are 10 episodes. Make one that's three episodes. I don't care. Make specials. Make all sorts of stuff. And I think Disney having their own streaming service just really has a lot of leeway to go in a million different directions. Speaking of all the different directions we're going to go, get on your 10 Foil hats, everybody. We are taking a stroll over to Conspiracy Theory Corner. Adam, I'm going to throw this at you. I'm going to leave it out in the air. You can talk about, um, you know, what you thought about uh, the conspiracy theories on the show we just watched or perhaps where you think this is going. I have a couple bullet points in here that I want to talk to. Take us into the theories. What's going on here? All right. Just strap my tinfoil hat on nice and tight. I'll start with uh, Sharon Carter, okay? Yep. She's revealed as the power broker. Yes. I think that was pretty obviously set up and hinted at. And, you know, I think everyone kind of figured that out Yes, um, throughout the course. It wasn't very well hidden. And at the end, she's been given a full pardon. This is in the post credit scene. She's been given a full pardon from the U.S. Welcome back into the CIA. But nobody knows that she's the power broker. Um, that's you know, in the government or anything. Sam and Bucky were completely oblivious the entire time that she was the power broker. She didn't even ask about it. Right. No questions asked when she's getting calls from the power broker every day. Um, But she's got an ax to grind and she walks out immediately. And I mean, gets on her cell phone. She doesn't even like get in her car or anything. She's like on the steps of the Capitol and just says, okay, get all the buyers ready. I got government secrets. I got technology. I got access to everything. And so I have no idea what that's going to set up, but I read that maybe that's going to have something to do with the, the armor wars series. Oh, oh, that that makes sense. Yeah. That, that makes sense based on the title. I don't really know anything about armor wars, but something that, you know, like an underworld arms dealer in the MCU is, Kind of an interesting storyline. Yeah, the the other thing there, I think, is that she's headquartered in Madripoor. And I guess not anymore because she's coming back to the U.S. But Madripoor is also pretty big in the X-Men universe. Um, they go to Madripoor all the time. I think Mystique might even be from Madripoor. I don't know. So I think that was another thing people were theorizing for a bit. Is, is, is this going to tie into any X-Men stuff? I, I'm right. not reading between the lines a lot there. But I just wanted to call that out because it's another opening. And I think these shows are really just... Opening up the playing field, really exploring the world in a big way so that they can insert their storylines as they need once they bring in X-Men, Fantastic Four. Okay, I'm going to take us 
over to a conspiracy theory that we both or that that we found. It's on the internet. Somebody else brought this up. This is not our unique idea, but I just wanted to bring this up for people who are not familiar with this. And it is called the lost vaccine slash virus subplot. Okay. This is, you can find this over at, I believe it's called New Rockstar's YouTube channel. And I'm not a big like fan theory, conspiracy theory guy. Well, I take it back. We have conspiracy theory corner of the show. Of course, I'm a big conspiracy theory guy. Um, And there's this theory where they have looked back over the season and really all those Carly Morgenthau, Power Broker, Sharon Carter stuff was kind of confusing. And there's obviously this show got pushed back. This was supposed to come out before WandaVision and there were reshoots, plenty of reshoots. So the theory is this, there was this whole subplot where the Flag Smashers were going to be transporting vaccines. In fact, it was hinted, I believe, in in not even hinted in episode two, that those 18-wheelers that they're fighting on the top of, those are vaccines, and they're huge. There's huge crates of them. There's huge boxes. Later, that was revealed to just be this tiny little capsules of the super soldier serum. But um, Carly Morgenthau's matriarch or her mother, whoever that is, dies, and there's all this ADR work that, you know, this YouTuber kind of showed. The idea, the premise being there was a whole subplot with the Flag Smashers and Corley Morgenthau that there was going to be somebody release some sort of epidemic, some sort of virus from Majapur, a Southeast Asian country, right? And there's this whole vaccine where there needs to be vaccines for this stuff. Obviously, COVID happened and that sort of storyline is not as you know, let's maybe shy away from this a little bit. And they did some, a little bit of rewrites, a little bit of reshoots, a little bit of patch-up jobs. I am not confirming this at all. This is complete conspiracy theory, but I thought it was really interesting and watching that video kind of helped explain maybe a little bit on why a lot of the Carly's Flag Smasher stuff felt so not good and exposition, all that stuff was very confusing and it just wasn't, interesting at all. So I wanted to throw that out there. Adam, what was your take on that? I watched that video after we talked about it, and I totally believe this theory. It seems really, really true. In the video, and I had actually looked this up um, before I watched the video, but there are news reports dating all the way back to February of 2020, when people were just finding out about, you know, the pandemic was just setting in. Sure. They were talking about reshoots then for the same exact reason. And then when it comes out, and if you watch this video and you see all the ADR, and especially there's one actress who is a pretty prominent actress, you know, she's on some HBO shows and she's got chops. She had her part completely reduced. You just see her laying in a bed and she doesn't even have a line. So why would you cast someone of that stature if you're not going to do anything with them? And so I thought that there was a lot of credence to this, uh, this theory and part of the reason why the whole Carly Morgenthau storyline was just kind of murky and forgettable and confusing, really. Yes. I kept wondering, wait, what are they doing? What is their goal here? Right. And I think there's probably a lot of truth to having to do some serious heavy lifting after they had already shot and written a lot of it. And I mean, I don't know if we'll ever find out the full story, but it'd be interesting to see what it was originally supposed to be like. And in their defense, if that's the case, I mean, they did a bang up job making this 
you know, pretty seamless. Because yes, while a little bit confusing, all this kind of MCU stuff is a little bit confusing. Adam, real fast, we've mentioned ADR a couple times. You're the film guy on the pod. What is ADR for our viewers that just hear that acronym and they're like, what the hell are these guys talking about? So ADR is when the actors come into the studios after they've shot scenes and they re-record their dialogue to get clean audio. Um, And sometimes, well, first of all, every single TV, movie, anything you make is getting ADR. Very common. It, it's it's very common in pretty much, except, you know, you're pretty much getting it in every single thing. Yes. It's really hard to get clean sound, and sometimes you just don't get the performance you want. Right. But um, you can also do a lot of sort of story editing and add in some lines, and it's really common if you have a really keen eye and you watch, especially TV a lot, TV moves so fast yes. that... They're having to figure out things on the fly, and a lot of times they don't really realize the problems until they get into the editing room. And at that point, it's really hard to reshoot scenes a lot of times, especially for TV. You're probably not getting reshoots. So all you can do is bring in the actor to re-record some audio. So you get an over-the-shoulder shot, right? Two people are talking. Yes. You only see one person, and you're looking from behind the shoulder. The person who you can't see, they might just replace their entire dialogue so it can explain the plot a little bit more. And in this video, there's a lot of instances of that where there's some pretty integral plot points that are being said off screen. So someone's getting a phone call and they're explaining something that's really important or someone stands up and steps away as they're talking and they say something that's key to the plot. To Adam's point, it happens all the time. I mean, whenever they film these things, if you've watched any bonus content on movies, there's there's story beats that are cut. And sometimes these story beats, especially in TV, because it moves so fast, are integral to, to explaining what's going on. So sometimes they'll cut a scene, but they're like, crap, we need to explain that scene. So they'll just do it in ADR real fast as like a phone call or a one-off or something to explain how did the vaccines get from here to here. We, we originally shot that. It wasn't interesting. We left it on the cutting room floor, but we really have to explain it. So they that's what they do. All right, let's move it over to the next conspiracy theory. Um, I had trouble figuring out this girl's name. Here is the full name of the cameo played by Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Her name is Contessa Valentine Allegra de Fontaine. There's a couple different ways this could go. Adam hinted at kind of an Amanda Waller, you know, a dark, uh, well, we'll call it the Dark Avengers, or we'll call it the Thunderbolts, um, which is kind of like this alternate version. And so in this theory, there she's getting together this team of heroes. They're kind of more black ops, right? They they do the dirty jobs that um, the Avengers won't do because, you know, it's a little under the radar. You got US agent who's going to be the Captain America figure. Apparently, there's a theory that she's going to be also in Black Widow um, and she's going to recruit Yelena Belova, who is sort of the other alternate Black Widow played by Florence Pugh. She could be recruiting these characters over time. Again, Dark Avengers or a team called the Thunderbolts, which is akin to sort of the Suicide Squad of the DCU, if you know that team. Um, it's also has ties to Zemo, is tied to them. Also is Thunderbolt Ross, who is also tied to that team. So they have some of these characters floating around, and that's a story they could explore in the future if they so choose. Yeah, Thunderbolt Ross, he's been in Hulk, he was in some of the Avengers, he's still a presence in the MCU, so they could pop him back in pretty easily. Um yeah, I'd love to see that. A lot of villains, a lot of people with bad histories, murky pasts, trying to kind of get a little redemption in uh, in that 
storyline. So that'd be fun. Be great to see Baron Zemo get in there more. See him dance a little bit more. Yeah, dude, release the Zemo cut. Um, I I love that. And um, his story's not done. And and I gotta say, him like he's great because he's not tied to sort of the Red Skull and the um, the Hydra as much. So he's like, okay, he's not really a Nazi, you know, but. I love that guy. He's got this butler who's kind of like an Alfred figure, except he's like a dark Alfred because he he like explodes the van at the end. Whenever he comes back and they're flying in his jet, he's like, Zemo, it's good to have you back, my my boy. And he's like serving them drinks. He's like, again, a dark Alfred. I love that aspect of his character. I thought that was hilarious. Zemo is so much fun. You just like, you got to get him back. And yeah, he doesn't have, he, he doesn't have any ties to the Red Skull in this iteration of him his whole thing was about sokovia his family died in the sokovia uh, attack or whatever it yes. is incident in ultron. avengers ultron and he was destroyed by it and so he wanted to destroy the avengers and that was he brought about civil war and um he had you know bad bad means maybe you know not great intentions but he was a grief-stricken man and that was kind of what was driving him so he has some there's room for redemption there, I think. I think he's already redeemed in my book. I love him. Um, all right. Next, I have in Conspiracy Theory Corner, and this is just kind of talking about some more of the Easter egg stuff that I'll talk to. Okay. Isaiah Bradley's grandson, his name is Eli Bradley. He's the guy who's you know playing basketball out front, answering the door for Falcon um, or Captain America there at the very end. He is actually a character later in Young Avengers called Patriot. And so obviously he starts off this season being, you know, anti-Captain America, anti-America to a degree. And then by the very end, the very last scene when they go to the Smithsonian or whatever it is, and they see Isaiah Bradley has his own statue and his grandfather is redeemed in a way that he never was. He's, you know, he kind of has that, okay, maybe this could be a thing. It's not really hinted at in the show, but again, that character takes a mantle of kind of a Captain America-like figure. He's a part of a team called the Young Avengers. Who else is in the Young Avengers? Wanda Maximoff's children, Speed and Wiccan, which were hinted at at the end of WandaVision to still be alive. So this is kind of hinting at there's a future where there could be a Young Avengers team. He's queued up to be Patriot. WandaVision has introduced these two new characters who are kids that are, again, could be heroes in their own way. So that's one. The second is his name is Joaquin Torres. He's Falcon's handler in like the first episode. He's He makes a couple of appearances where he's always on comms to Falcon telling him what to do and what's going on. And he's like the, seems like like a great guy, you know? He actually, once Captain America in the comics, I mean, sorry, once Falcon in the comics becomes Captain America, he takes up the Falcon mantle and he becomes Falcon. And his suit is kind of green. It's a little bit different. He's kind of got a little bit of a beak on his head. He's kind of interesting. I never read deep into his story. And I I don't think he's like a long character. I think he's fairly new. But just wanted to call that out as well as another character that could be explored later. Yeah. Uh, Sam left his old wings with him. So oh, yeah. seems like he's got to do something with it. There you and go. I, I think that a big part of this show is sort of setting up how they're going to move forward in the MCU. Because much like in comics, there's a point where you need to spice things up. You got to mix it up a little bit. And you might need to start thinking about passing things down to a new generation for a lot of reasons. In these movies, one of the biggest reasons is that 
people are just aging. They're going to yes. age out of these characters yes. and they become more and more expensive with every movie. So you need to bring in new characters who can bring new life to the series, who can also extend the series and connect with the younger audience. And it seems like a lot, it's twofold. They're setting up these younger Avengers with Patriot, with the other Falcon, with, you know, Speed and Wiccan. And then they're also passing down the mantle of Captain America. And it's pretty, you know, pretty deftly done. Yeah. And and again, this stuff is like deep comic lore. This is uh, a lot of it's not new. We've seen it in the comics as, as you've been reading it. But seeing it on screen in over a decade of these films is just surprising. This is setting a new precedent in films. Not, there's never been a serialized story like this. And I think they're really taking advantage of the TV format to just expand the world. Give us options, baby. And I actually saw someone describe the MCU movies as a large-scale TV show where mm. each episode is a feature-length movie. Okay. And I think that's incredible because yeah. that's what it is. Every movie sets up another movie you want to keep watching just like good serialized television does. And I had never thought about the MCU like that before, but it kind of redefines my my view of what their intention is. And it, it, it blew my mind in a way. No, that that's really interesting. And again, listen, me and Adam are comic readers. We love serialized storytelling. I love it. I, I love, love that it. all this is connected. I love that it's going somewhere. I love that they kind of have to keep upping the stakes and then resetting the board and then upping the stakes and resetting the board. And we are in the resetting the board phase of the MCU right now. That's right. Yeah. Um, do you have anything else, uh, theories, Easter eggs, anything specifically you want to talk about? I think we covered all the big the cool. big Easter eggs. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's going to be it. You know, this month we are reading Jupiter's Legacy. Hit up that. We're going to do a Beyond the Panels about that TV series as well that's debuting on Netflix here very soon. Stay tuned for future Beyond the Panels, and we'll keep doing this. And as, you know, film and TV keeps coming out and keeps adapting these comic stories that we love and frankly we're reading you know we love taking a deep dive into this aspect of it me and adam are big film and tv guys just as much as comic guys we love it there's a lot of fun stuff on the horizon loki's right around the corner that looks like it's going to be a blast excited to finally see black widow come to fruition it feels like we've been waiting for that for years so a lot of good stuff with marvel coming up you know and it, because it's marvel there's always going to be stuff coming up Absolutely. So that's going to be it for this month's Comic Club. Follow us online at Comic Club Podcast. You can find me at Blaine McGaff on social media. I'm Danger Adam on Instagram. And that's going to wrap it up for this month's episode of Beyond the Panels. Adam? Comic Club out. Comic Club is brought to you from Upper Esh Media. This episode was edited by Adam J. Cook. Our intro and outro music is by Tiger Cup. Katie Livingston at Living Kate designed our logo. If you enjoyed the episode, tell a friend, follow us on social at Comic Club Podcast, and join our Facebook group to continue the conversation online. Remember, everyone, read more comics. Comic Club.